0: You're listening to the Teaching Orchestra Podcast, a new place to hear from today's orchestra teachers teaching today's orchestra kids.
1: I'm Janet. And I'm Jessica. We share our successes, struggles, and solutions working with the next generation of string musicians. And lift up our colleagues' voices from across the country. Why be an island anymore? Join Join us. us.
0: This episode is one of our technique tips and tricks for group instruction, and we'll be broken into a few sections.
1: Yes. So first, we're going to give you like a little background info and pep talk about group instruction. Then we'll give you some right-hand tricks that we picked up and then some left-hand tricks as well. We'll also talk about posture setup. And then, of course, our real talk section
0: where we just give it to you straight.
1: So- Um, Quick disclaimer, most of what we're going to talk about today is for beginners, but as a secondary teacher trying to get kids back on track after 18 long months of virtual school, um, my students came back with some interesting, let's say, technique issues. So I'm using many of these tips and tricks with middle school as well. So if you're a middle school instructor, this this is not something you have to write off. I think you'll find some benefit here as well. So here's our pep talk. Here we go. Many people credit Paul Rowland to the growth of large group mixed instruments and mixed ability classes here in the US. Pedagogues love him because he's very technical in his approach. He factors in kinesiology and physiology with his string playing. And teachers like us love him for his analogies and his tricks for teaching solid technique to beginners in a group setting. I recommend checking out a workshop sometime. I will link uh, the Paul Roland Foundation in the show notes for you. I did go to a Roland workshop at the Midwest Clinic a few years back. Um, there is a Roland-based class method book that not a lot of people know about. It's uh, called New Tunes for Strings. It is really old school. I don't think anyone is really using that as their primary method book in school instruction right now, but it, it's a good supplement. So check it out if you if you have access to it. So a little bit more background info I wanted to talk about is um, a pamphlet. It's not even a book. It's a pamphlet from the 1980s by Sheila Nelson. It's about teaching beginners in groups rather than individually like we do. Right. Uh, She was kind of a follower of Paul Rowland and talks about Paul Rowland's work a lot in her book. There is a corresponding television program that was on like BBC television years ago. Um, Anyway, here's the takeaway from what she has discovered in her writing and is in this television series is that group instruction encourages shared practicing and that group kids motivate each other. She says the following quote, I love this. Children are far more willing to sing and to learn and to make flowing physical movements when they have company. And music reading skills are greatly helped and stimulated by being shared. And she goes on to discuss sort of the social benefits, the confidence from performing for each other often. And when performing, she says that the masked sound is far more satisfactory than individual sounds. And this helps beginners to gain a sense of achievement.
0: So today, you know, some of what we'll talk about is instrument specific, but we'll also throw in some all-encompassing tips that will help your kids understand concepts easier and faster. And so right away here with the right hand, bow seat belts. They (laughs) are amazing. I can't even tell you. It's like an instant bow hold that you just, you strap in and you got a bow hold. So we talk about strapping in and it's basically just a rubber band on the bottom of the frog. It's kind of like sideways and we'll put a video in the show notes and it just kind of pulls the middle two fingers against the frog so that you don't have any the, uh, flying fingers or fingers that are surfing on top. And then for cello and bass for French bow, we put the pinky into the seat belt and put it against the eyelet. And I guess some t- people also put the ring finger, but I only just put the pinky and it does help with uh, pronation of the hand.
1: Yeah, this has changed my life and I will forever love you for showing me that video, Jessica. Thanks. Another great go hold device is the Pinky Hold. It's a device you can buy from Char Music and it just slides right onto the frog. I love it um, that you don't have to take the bow apart to put it on. It's just like, boop, goes on the frog um, right above the screw and just lives there. Fits in their case, doesn't have to come off, fits every size bow. Love the thing.
0: You know, there is an economy option out there if you don't want to spend a whole lot but there's those bunion bandages for a pinky cup on the top of the turning screw.
1: Okay, I've seen that. It just It's like a sticker, right? You stick it on? Yeah. Cool. Love that. Um, another one to kind of get their arms moving. So we've just talked about the hand a little bit. You've probably, if you've ever taken Suzuki lessons or observed Suzuki students, they do the up like a rocket, down like the rain, round and round like a choo-choo train while holding their bow and moving their bow up and down perpendicular to the floor. That's been really helpful. My students love spider crawls. Um, You know, you start with a perfect bow hold and you crawl your fingers up to the tip and then back down again. We make games out of this. We'll talk more about games in our next episode. Um, Another one I just recently read about in this terrific book, I think every elementary and middle school teacher should have, is called Rehearsing the Middle School Orchestra. A really great idea from the chapter by Sarah Blackball and Amy Clement, the bow hold parade. And you play a march, like a Sousa march, stars and stripes forever, whatever. And you make a parade route. Everyone holds their bow perpendicular to the floor and marches while moving their bow up and down like, um, like a baton and it kind of, it teaches kids how to have that flexibility in the wrist and in their arm as well. And finally, um, straws, this is another thing I use instead of the pencil hold, like a lot of the method books have us start with. I really like using, um, straws for beginning bow holds because kids can't pinch a straw or if they do, you can see that it's being bent in half, right? Like the straight straws without the bendy tops are very helpful for this. Um, oh, and to that, I, I realized I've been saying bow hold instead of bow grip, uh, bull hold, I think is a nice way to say that because it alludes to a more gentle hold in my experience than grip gives grip. They want to hold something tight, right?
0: I've heard that too. And mm-hmm. we'll tell a story about the bow hold when we create it. But the latest iteration that I am trying is actually from a teacher. And I can't, I think the teach, I think he teaches in Texas somewhere, but his name is Panya and he made a. Couple of videos for one of the string orchestra teacher groups where for the low strings you do chop, flop, tip of the thumb. And then he did an upper string one that goes llama, doorknob, pinky finger. And so those are like just the little things that, you know, teachers in isolation in all the orchestra classrooms across the country just come up with. It's just now with the advent of social media, we could all share those things and laugh about them and then show them to our students. So all we, all we're trying to do is prevent the caveman bow hold, which is just, (laughs) just a fist, you know, I love that. Yeah. Right. And of course I stole that from somebody. I mean, I didn't come up with that, but, and then we've got the banana thumb. You can also uh, think of it like hitchhiking thumb. Like when your thumb is um, bent the opposite way you want to keep a hill on your thumb I say you want texting or video game thumb um,
1: I also tell my students like don't put your thumb in the frog's mouth. Cause a lot of kids think, Oh, my thumb doesn't go underneath the frog. It must go inside this little happy place. Nope.
0: No. And
1: again, not my idea. I heard someone say it at a workshop. Um, another thing to kind of get their whole arm moving are born off open string cycles. I'll link to some born off resources in the show notes. It really helps with like the big arm movements and like the elbow levels. I think those are the most helpful ways to get those right arms moving in an appropriate way. German bow kids can feel kind of left out of some of these. So Just um, try to integrate as many cutesy things as you can with them. A handshake approach to holding a German bow can be helpful. Uh, One of the workshops I went to talked about the two middle fingers being anti-gravity fingers that kind of float in between, again, to keep kids from gripping.
0: I've also noticed that kids that play bass sometimes naturally start to gravitate toward a German underhand bow grip or like a sideways grip. And so that's where it's uh, a good call to just give them a German bow and let them try it, you know, doing the fake hand pistol with the two fingers and then the thumb, <laughs> like the pew pew, pew, pew. It seems more natural to me. Like I gravitate toward German bow myself.
1: I do too. And um my colleague Carl, my co-teacher, is a bass player and I feel really guilty in like talking about bassy things because anytime there's a bass kid in my classroom, I default to Carl. So I'm I realize I'm very fortunate um, when we talk about these technical issues, because Carl will just kind of pull them out and get them on track. And it's not something I stress about. So, you know, before we move on the left hand, I just wanted to mention another great resource out there called Playing the String Game. Again, old school, everything I've talked about, ex- with one exception, has been like an old school book. Um, it's by Phyllis Young. It was originally published in 1978. You can still buy it on Char. It's a book that has no notation, no exercises, but it's like dozens of pages of like Super quick metaphors, the kind of stuff we're talking about right now, and engaging ideas for students set up. Um, It was never intended to be used in group instruction, but so much of it's applicable. And I'll be talking about this in our next episode where we talk about sort of the games. Um, And I'll link it in the show notes, of course. So let's move on to left hand, Jessica. Let's talk about left hand now. (laughs) Uh, So
0: I am trying one syllable uh, colored finger tapes this year. I'm trying it for the first time. I was a purist and would only use black finger tapes. I would do a one and a three for violins and violas. And this time I'm like, you know what? We're just going to try and make it as easy as possible for these post COVID children. So we're doing patriotic red, white, and blue. (laughs) For, For the one, two, and three, it's the red, white, blue, so that you can, uh, do some echo patterns calling out like red, red tape or whatever. So it's just more of a visual.
1: Awesome. I love that. And, you know, you're doing what your students need right now. My, one of my colleagues used just a third finger or fourth finger tape for cello to reinforce ear training. Now he had smaller class sizes and different frequency than you have. So that's just an example of how you use your tapes. You just have to tailor to your environment, Right. Absolutely. And it's really nice when you have visuals on a
0: slideshow. They can also get another exposure to that visually on the screen and match that up. So we also are going to incorporate finger taps away from the instrument. I stole this from another colleague in the district where you just take your left hand and you tap each finger against your thumb. And so you're using the thumb as like a fake Fingerboard to just get used to doing these individual fingers and creating that dexterity. And then you can call out patterns like one, three, one, one, two, one, one, four, one, two, one, two, put in a slideshow. Kind of slick.
1: That is slick. I've I've never heard of that. I know our band teacher colleagues do that. So I'm gonna try that moving forward. I love this one. This is from Carl, my co-teacher, Mr. Rister. He made this up. Rister W-R-I-S-T, to be clear. So, it's a small sensory toy, which is like a koosh ball or something like it. Ours is like a koosh ball with an angry face, which is very appropriate. So, Mr. Rister goes around the orchestra room and touches. The, the wrists or the palm of the hand when kids are doing that horrible thing when they have their wrists bent towards the instrument. So Mr. Rister will come and shake his like kushbali hair on a kid's wrist as like a sensory reminder to have a straight wrist when they play. And then um, hand shape can be kind of a tricky one too. Like a lot of kids have like an idea in their head of what the hand shape should be. Carl likes to say like gently cradle a mouse. He got that from his own kids' private lessons. Yeah. We talk
0: about a bird that perches in the U shape of the thumb and somewhere along the way, some kid said, well, why would a bird perch underground? Because the thumb or that U shape is underneath the neck. And so I'm like, well, what, what something that perches that lives in the ground? I don't know, like a bat. So then it became a bat. And although now that I think about it, I think there's there's burrowing owls that live in the ground. So maybe we should call it a burrowing owl. I don't know.
1: I like that. And then you're also hitting science standards, Jessica. Way to go! Oh, huh? yeah.
0: <laughs> you got that right. We are multifaceted here.
1: So just a little bit more about hand shape. Um, fourth finger first is a book by Sandy Goldie. I attended her workshop at Midwest about five years ago. But what she does with her beginners is she has them strumming all four open strings with the pinky on the left hand. So like a, a left hand pits, but with the pinky to help with the hand shape and the perpendicular placement to the fingerboard. And, you know, Sandy Goldie, she kind of got this from Roland, right? So Paul Roland did a lot of this sort of stuff to open up the fluidity of the hand and the arms. Speaking of Roland, Roland also really likes to do the shuttle game um, where kids go up the fingerboard to the midway, midpoint harmonic, like very early in their instruction. So they're really releasing that left hand, way pre-shifting stuff, right? Um, it's another way to discourage them from holding the instrument with their left hand.
0: Um, so we don't want to leave out our low strings. So for cello, you know, that whole color tape thing does translate pretty nicely, except for the second finger, obviously. So I'm adding a black second finger tape that I call the silent tape so that they don't stick up their middle finger because it. <laughs> It does. It, if you don't tell them where to put it, then they're just gonna let it fly up. And
1: I mean, I'm not offended by it or anything, but yeah, still- well, that's a good way. It's, it's a place. It's a placeholder, right? You know, that's smart. Right. I like that. Right. Cool. Well, and Mr. Rister, while very often in the violin and viola section of the orchestra, um, can be used with cellists and bass players sitting on their elbows to make sure they're not doing that chicken wing thing, right? So instead of it like tickling their wrists, we often try to sit Mr. Rister down on their elbows to make sure their elbows are out straight rather than like resting on the shoulders of the instrument. You know, reminding our students like, hold a can of soda, take a sip of your soda, now put that hand shape on your fingerboard. I also heard from another workshop, hold like a giant hamburger with your thumb underneath to keep all the stuff from spilling out. Um, Now rotate that. So that keeps the second finger, I think, behind the sorry, the thumb behind the second finger, which is hard. A lot of kids want to, like, keep their thumb pointed up towards the sky. So just like that imagery of having the thumb behind the second finger can be really tricky without a cutesy analogy. Yeah, this also could apply to cello, but for bass,
0: this bass salute, where you stick your thumb in your ear, put your index finger on your eyebrow, you put your middle finger under your eye, you Mm. put your ring finger by your mouth, and then you put your um, pinky on your chin. Just that hand position kind of creates even spacing And the tapes are really not only just telling you where to put your fingers, but it's creating the the spacing. And then also that idea of a salute kind of puts the arm in that kind of 45 degree angle position. So if you, you know, just give yourself a salute, you know, your arm is already in 45 degrees for ease. Again, I think I'm just going to put a thumb sticker and call it your thumb dot and just put it on the back of bass and cello neck I mean you can say well it goes behind the second finger but the concept is still new to them they're not really grasping that fingers have numbers and so what they really need is these visuals on the instrument just like a guitarist can look at frets you know the instruments don't have frets they don't and for the interim just give them that concrete thing to look at
1: let's talk about sort of general body posture stuff and this applies to all instruments we mentioned at the beginning that having like a catchy list of stuff to teach to the whole group is very helpful and obviously each instrument has different quirks for their setup now we know violin and viola very similar right there are some sequences that very creative people have written. One of them is the one, two, three play for me sequence uh, by Dr. Angela Ammerman, also in the rehearsing the middle school orchestra book. Um, it's really, really well detailed. It's like one, two, they stomp their feet, three, four. They each have a motion to do that's applicable to their instrument all the way up to number 10. As the teacher on the podium, once the students learn the steps, you can just go one through 10, just naming the numbers, and the kids know what to do. Yes, it's a lot to teach in the beginning, but then like. Over time, you're just shouting out numbers, which is very, very smart for time saving. Well, it's okay to go
0: slow to go fast. We always right. say that in the beginning where they just want to play, play, play. Well, we got to go through the steps. And for the, the method book that we're using, which is Measures of Success, they do the Statue of Liberty sequence where they have it in the left hand and say, Statue of Liberty, hold it up over their head, Ba-ba-da-da. upside down, flat to the ground, and bring it in. And then I add, Turn your head to the left like you're looking at a spitball flying across the room, oh! and then that, <laughs> <laughs> then there you go. And then they put their their jaw down on the chin rest, and, mm-hmm. and and then we just like then I just say Statue of Liberty, and that's then it sets the wheels in motion. After a while, then they all cool. know it.
1: I need some short ones when you can't go through a whole sequence. I always tell the instruments that's violins and violas in my classroom, the Chinstruments to wave to their cello and bass friends while holding their instruments. That's another one that kind of doesn't let them rest their elbow elsewhere and helps to make sure their left hand is free and released. Of course, the shoulder rest is super important. I do hate how chin rests are called chin rests I like to tell students they should be called a jaw rest because that's where you rest your jaw when kids hear the word chin rest they just want to stick the instrument straight out in front of them hanging off of their chin and when those chin instruments, violin and viola friends are seated i often have to say things like elbows off your bellies um, because they tend to just want to like droop their instrument and rest their elbow on their tummy uh, another one I learned recently was no violin beard, like having the <laughs> <I start laughs> dangle off your face. I love that. Uh, for cello, it's,
0: I don't have a catchy little thing right now. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's one out there, but what I'm using right now comes from the YouTube channel string technique and they hug their cello and they flap their wings just to create that relaxation through the upper body for well, now.
1: No, I think those are important ones. And we're putting that video in the show notes for you. Uh, Another one I got from the book that I love, Sarah Blackball and Amy Clements wrote in that chapter, love your cello, don't eat your cello, rest (laughs) your cello on your chest and don't eat your cello, don't rest it on your belly. Um, I said this the other day to my students and this one very, very funny sixth grade girl was like, why would anyone eat a cello? And another girl turns around and is like, well, doesn't everyone love an expensive meal once in a while? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, no. Okay. Okay, i just completely, I was, it was one of those moments where I just had to like step off the podium, and just like let myself laugh for a solid 20 seconds and then start to eat again.
0: <laughs> oh man, that, that's rich. Uh-huh. That good?
1: <laughs> I'm going. But love I'm your going. cello, don't eat your cello. Oh, it, it got the point across. I will tell you. good. <laughs> sure
0: did. Well, so we also want to point out that the placement of the cello really does improve the posture. And I just find that end pin anchors, when in group instruction, teaching off a podium, they just put the cello where it needs to be. And we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, the triangle, the equilateral triangle. That is created between. That's a math,
1: that's math Jessica. Look math. at you. I know. I know. <laughs>
0: that's what our content is. Hello. It's everything. So like the equilateral, equilateral triangle that's created between chair leg, chair leg, and pin cup. And part of the triangle, one of the arms of the triangle or one of the lines, whatever, is the end pin anchor. And so then it just gives that much more of a visual. You put the end pin out so that when you stand up, the scroll is even with the nose, but that isn't always good enough. You know, the the mm-hmm. hair could be too tall or short, and with a, mm-hmm. a a rock stop, it's like you have no idea where that's supposed to go unless you've got maybe a private teacher that can like be with you right there. But like we're saying, this is group instruction, so um, right. Just these every little
1: th- every little thing helps. Face, of course, is like. Tough to do in the large group sometimes, which is why many group instructors don't include bass, especially at the elementary level. Um, I went to a uh, Richard Davis Bass Foundation for Young Bassists conference a few years ago. This happens yearly in the spring. Oh my gosh, they do an amazing teacher workshop that is aimed at teachers like us who are upper string players who are teaching bass in heterogeneous groups. They spend two days with you and they teach you the best tricks ever for posture and alignment. And, you know, I remember learning the bass salute there, Jessica. They just had some of the greatest ideas ever that fit really well into a heterogeneous group. Check it out if you ever can spend two days really just playing bass as a very uncomfortable bass player like I am because I had no idea what I was doing when I went there, but I walked out with great posture and left and right hand technique stuff.
0: Yeah, and there's also some, we'll link some string technique from that YouTube channel for bass posture in the show notes.
1: Um, This is one that applies to everyone in the orchestra, regardless of the instrument we play. This is so nice to have the ones that are good for everyone from the Rehearsing the Middle School Orchestra book that I love. It's called POP, P O P, which stands for Perfect Orchestra Posture. So I've trained the sixth graders in particular. When I say pop, they all pop out of their seats. Um, They have to pop up without moving their feet, because if their feet are planted on the ground and their chair posture is good, standing up, popping up to standing should be zero problems. There's another article that I love called Challenging the Middle School Orchestra Musician, because you know what, as a middle school teacher, we need to challenge these kids all the time because they're challenging us. (laughs) Gail Barnes, the author, says the following, Middle school students are sometimes growing at such a rapid rate that all of a sudden, these good habits we thought were ingrained seem to disappear. Middle school children seem to be trying to hide and curl up into themselves. They must continually but gently be reminded to sit up away from the back of the chair and have the soles of both feet flat on the ground. Yeah, growing bodies is just a huge. I mean, we think about sizing our students and instruments, but we need to just consider their changing bodies as well. Real talk. Real talk time. Real talk time. Okay, here we go. We just threw a lot at you. So as we gathered notes for this episode, this seems like a lot of provisioning. And our biggest concern is like how fussy it is to always be on kids and telling them to fix this and fix that. And it can be really wordy, and that doesn't always work well for like our ELL or special needs students. However, in our experience, these are the ultimate quick hitters that require the least talk with the most long-term benefit. And this stuff is sort of like code and shortcuts that you will use for the long term. Now, I will say, don't try to use all of the things that we threw at you just now. Find a few things that will work with your population and your class sizes. Ultimately, you just got to know your students.
0: And I think hearing some of these out loud does confirm that, you know, a lot of you are doing the right thing and you you are doing the tried and true stuff that works. My approach to beginning strings this year is not to be so, to come down so hard on them each day. If, if you think about, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, try not to get super wrapped up in having all these perfect little tedious details, because how could you, you're in a heterogeneous setting and you've got 45 minutes twice a week. So you just have to keep drilling these little catchphrases. And eventually you'll see that the kids are getting it. And even if it's not perfect, it's going to take months. It's going to take years. And we know this because we've
1: achieved that. And that's that's really important. It's like teaching the resilience piece. And like they, we want our kids to play. That is the goal, right? In fact, um, the beginners please pamphlet, uh, Sheila Nelson says in her book, most learners will go through patches where enthusiasm, flags, and other occupations threaten to take over. It's very it's true, like they're really excited those first few weeks, but if you're constantly on them and provisioning every little thing from the bend of their thumb to like the little burrowing owl in their left hand, yeah, there it's it's gonna it's gonna be hard to keep them excited and motivated. But I think when you make it as fun as possible and give them lots of options, it can be a really great way to keep them engaged. Wow, that was a lot, Janet. <laughs> so I think we're gonna record more tips and tricks down the road because. We wanted to give you a little bit of reasonable info and it kind of turned into a lot of reasonable info, but you know, what's great is we're going to be collecting more ideas as we show up to work every day and we'll be coming up with more on our feet and desperate teaching moments. So this was just like our first go at this and we're probably going to come back and revisit it.
0: Yeah, this started off as one larger episode, but through our info gathering decided to split it into two while well, we could keep on splitting it into whatever. <laughs> um, our next video or our next episode will be games for group instruction, engaging and fun activities for success. Where some of these tips, will make another appearance. Uh, you'll definitely hear about some new things, something that I'm piloting this year called strings mountain
1: stay tuned
0: it's really
1: cool and just games to keep them you know holding their bows left and right and keep them motivated and engaged so I'm very excited for that next episode so tune in look for it coming up soon